Good morning. We have had a wonderful service so far, and we have a wonderful crowd this morning. It's good to see everyone out. Thank you, Brother Zane, for a good song service so far, and Brad for the encouragement and your prayer this morning on my behalf. I had asked my baby niece this morning, I came up to her and I said, Faith Lynn, how does my hair look today? She looks... (laughs) Same answer. Same answer. It is good to be together with you this morning. I'm grateful for the opportunity to stand before you and bring another message from God's holy word. If you consider yourself a visitor, we welcome you. We appreciate your attendance this morning. Um, We hope that you'll meet back with us at at every time uh, that you can be here. Hope you feel welcome and and hopefully you can stick around and introduce yourselves to some of us uh, this morning. I hope the things we cover this morning will, will be of some encouragement to you as we go about life's way. To generate some thought this morning... I'd like to turn to the book of Philemon. Uh, It's a small book in the New Testament. We don't often turn there uh, very often. Um, So if you have trouble finding it, you you don't stand alone. If you you find the book of Hebrews, uh, it's one of the bigger books towards the back of of the New Testament. You find the book of Hebrews chapter 1 and just flip back a page or two. It's literally the book right before the book of Hebrews. To kind of give a little bit of background of Philemon, the Apostle Paul is the author here, and he addresses this letter to Philemon, and we, uh, some of us may know Philemon was a Christian. Uh, Philemon was also a slave owner, and so many of us would probably say, whoa there, hold on, how can he be a, a slave owner but yet be a Christian? And, and that's certainly a valid question, so we need to consider the time that this was written, uh, we see the Apostle Paul was in, in prison in Rome, and he wrote this approximately A.D. 60. Slavery was a common practice during the Roman Empire. Today in our world, at least here in the United States, we denounce slavery, but you know we don't have to go back more than 200 years. And we see this kind of thing that our ancestors dealt with. But thank God we don't have to deal with that any longer. The Apostle Paul doesn't come out in this book and denounce the subject of slavery. However, he does reiterate what he wrote in Galatians chapter 3. If you remember Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, he says, For ye all are children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one. In Christ Jesus. And so even though uh, Philemon here was an owner of slaves, based on what we read in this letter, Paul gives Philemon high credentials. You're going to see throughout, uh, especially the first part of this book, he gives very kind comments to Philemon, uh, which leads us to believe that Philemon was a good man. And not only a good man, but a good Christian man. We find in verse 1, Paul, you'll see here in just a minute, Paul says unto Philemon, our dearly dearly beloved and fellow laborer. 
And then in verse 4, he says, I thank God for you in my prayers. In verse 5, he says, Hearing of the love and the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. And also in verse 7, we'll see, he says, For I have received much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. We can tell that Philemon must have been a good man. And the Bible tells us that one of Philemon's slaves, Onesimus, had ran away. To run away from your owner uh, at that time was not only an offense, but it was punishable by law. And even though the Bible doesn't say specifically, we see that Onesimus either took something from Philemon or it was just considered theft of his absence of the labor uh, that he would have been producing by not being present. Either way, Onesimus took something from Philemon, uh, Philemon, and he was in debt to his owner. So if Philemon was such a good man, that leads us to wonder the other question, why Onesimus would run away to begin with? And even though the Bible isn't uh, clear on that either, Paul does mention in verse 15, which we're about to read in, in 16, he says, For this perhaps is why he parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, not longer as a bondservant, but now as a brother. So whatever the reason is that Onesimus left Philemon, the beauty is we as the audience this morning have an opportunity to learn from this particular relationship and how Paul encourages us, uh, encourages not only Philemon in this letter, but um, how to handle an offense, but also to all of us reading this letter today. And so with that, let's Let's read this short book of Philemon. I'm going to be reading from the Amplified Version. It kind of broadens the, uh, the mindset and kind of broadens some of the verbiage. Uh, so if you'll bear with me. Philemon, starting in verse 1, says, Paul, a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus, the Messiah, and our brother Timothy to Philemon, our dearly beloved, share with us in our work. And to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier in the Christian warfare, and to the church, assembly that meets in your house, grace be to all of you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for you always when I mention you in my prayers, because I continue to hear of your love and of your loyal faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the participation in and sharing of your faith may produce and promote full recognition and appreciation and understanding and precise knowledge of every good thing that is ours in Christ Jesus. For I have derived great joy and comfort and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints who are your fellow Christians have been cheered and refreshed through you, my brother. Therefore, though I have an abundant boldness in Christ to charge you to do what is fitting and required, to, uh, required in your duty to do, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you just for what I am. I, Paul, an ambassador of Jesus Christ, and an old man and now, in pr- now a prisoner for his sake also, I appeal to you for my own spiritual child, Onesimus, meaning profitable, whom I have begotten in the faith while captive in these chains. Once he was unprofitable to you, but now he indeed profitable, profitable to you as well as to me. I am sending him back to you in his very own person, and it is like sending my, my very heart. 
I would have chosen to keep him with me in order that he might minister to my needs in your stead during my imprisonment for the gospel's sake. But it has been my wish to do nothing about it without first consulting you and getting your consent in order that your benevolence might not seem to be the result of compulsion or of pressure, but that it might be voluntary on your part. Perhaps it was for this reason that he, he was separated from you for a while, that you might have him back as yours forever. Not as a slave any longer, but as something more than a slave, a brother, a Christian, especially dear to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh as a servant and in the Lord as a fellow believer. If then you consider me a partner and a comrade in fellowship, welcome and receive him as you would welcome and receive me. And if he has done, if he has done you any wrong in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write it with my own hand. I promise to repay it in full, and that is to say nothing of the fact that you owe me your very self. Yes, brother, let me have some profit from you and the Lord. Cheer and refresh my heart in Christ. I write to you perfectly confident of your obedient compliance, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. At the same time, prepare a guest room in expectation of extending your hospitality to me, for I am hoping through your prayers to be granted the gracious privilege of coming to you. And then he greets, greetings to you from... Um, Apophrash, my fellow prisoner here in the cause of Jesus Christ, and from Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So we see, as we read this letter, the runaway slave Onesimus runs into Paul somehow. He has left Philemon, he runs into Paul. And while he's on the run, Onesimus is taught and obeys the gospel. The Bible says Onesimus um, was useful to Paul. We see uh, Onesimus pop up in, in the book of Colossians chapter 4 and verse 9 too. Paul sends, uh, sends Onesimus back to Philemon to make things right and give Philemon the opportunity to forgive. Paul writes to Philemon to forgive his runaway slave Onesimus and to accept him as a brother in Christ. At some point, he, we see um, from this letter as well that Paul says, I will repay you whatever he owes, whether he stole something from you or if there is a lack of labor of, of which he would have produced during his departure, Paul says, put that to my account. And we can kind of think about that. Slaves didn't really have much of anything. Um, probably little to no possessions. Uh, maybe just the stuff that they needed throughout the day or the week. But Paul says, if this man owes you anything, charge it to me and I'll pay you. Because there's no way Onesimus would have been able to repay Philemon back. Paul says, put it to my account. You see the, uh, the way that Paul urges Philemon to act upon the godly, Christ-like character that he, that he knows what is right. Paul says to receive him and welcome Onesimus back and to extend love and faith that you have for the saints of Christ because Onesimus is your brother now in the Lord. Paul would know and understand the need for forgiving, forgiving others and he urges Philemon to make the decision to forgive his new brother in Christ. 
We learn from this very short reading that it takes a person of godly character to forgive. You must be a person of faith, love, and spiritual maturity to forgive. And we see Philemon, according to what Paul describes here in this letter, he had these characteristics to uphold the responsibility of forgiveness. And so when we think about all the different aspects of forgiveness, um, you know, we'll start with we have the need from our Father in heaven to forgive us of all of our sinfulness that we have in our lives. And the Bible says he is faithful to forgive us of our sins. Many of us, if not all of us, from time to time in our lives struggle with forgiving ourselves. And when I say forgiving oneself, I'm not talking about in the worldly sense we often hear about, but we do at times can be overcome with our own guilt of the sinful past that we, that we have done in our lives. We have the need to, uh, to forgive one another, don't we? We don't execute every part of our lives in perfectness, and we should seek our brothers and sisters and fellow man's forgiveness when we do sin against one another. And we also have the responsibility and the commitment and commandment to forgive one another and to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ and fellow man. The subject of forgiveness as it pertains to our Christian walk is truly a deep and interwoven subject. And with that, we will not have the time this morning to dissect every aspect of forgiveness as it relates to the various areas of our walk with Christ. But for the next few minutes, I would like to look at one specific area of forgiving one another. What are some of the biblical reasons we should extend forgiveness to our fellow man? We need to understand that what we cover this morning on the subject, the New Testament scriptures specifically addresses those that have been saved. We need to understand that. Those that have been obedient to the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And so if you find yourself here this morning and you have not submitted yourself to Christ in baptism, washing away your sins, you will have that opportunity after our study this morning. So the the question we need to ask this morning, do you have a hard time forgiving others? I have struggled with that very much so in in my walk in Christ and have done that recently. Do you have a hard time forgiving others? Maybe you have a difficult of forgiving certain people. Have you ever told someone something like this, I'm really struggling forgiving what such and such person has done to me? And so let us consider ourselves for just a moment. We all stand here or sit here this morning as saved sinners, those of us that are Christians. We are Christians pursuing the goal of becoming more like our Savior, but we are not perfect. As much as we try to grow in Jesus and be faithful, we still sin against God. And the truth is we still sin against our fellow man. Even after we are saved and pursue the life that Christ has taught us to live, we are still imperfect people. We still offend. We still, we still say offensive things. We try not to, but that's what happens. We are insensitive at times. We are sarcastic at times. And we are impatient. We do things that offend and that hurt. And sometimes not do things that we should that offend. Christ knew this about us, didn't he? 
And even one of his chosen twelve asked about forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21, it says, Then Peter came up and said unto him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? I think most of us here this morning understand forgiveness is necessary for the churches of Christ to be unified, for marriages to thrive, and for all of the other relationships we have in this life. There will always be a need to forgive people on the earth, and we must be willing to learn forgiveness and work through the difficulty of forgiving and being changed by it. C.S. Lewis is quoted by saying this about the subject. Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. We all want forgiveness. We all desire to be forgiven of the wrongs and the offenses that we have committed. But are we that eager to forgive others? I would submit to you this morning that forgiveness is a vital part of not only our Christian walk, but if we are to grow to be more Christ-like, we not only need to understand forgiveness, but practice it every single day. This morning, we are not going to look at the specific ways we deal with forgiveness and specifically how to deal with forgiveness necessarily. Um, we, our brother, Mike McCorkle, gave a fine message back in February title what forgiveness looks like and I would encourage you to hop on the website and go and and watch that it was a very fine message but sometimes though we flat out choose not to forgive don't we and just as love is a choice so is forgiveness forgiveness forgiving someone is a choice that we make there is a lady by the name of Corey Ten Boom. Some of you may have heard uh, heard of her. She's a Christian writer uh, and did some public speaking back in the day. Corey C O R R I E. We're actually going to come back and visit it, visit her here shortly. But she's quoted saying this about forgiveness, and I f- found it fitting. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function. Regardless of the temperature of the heart. Forgiveness is an act of the will and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. And so I hope that reviewing these fundamental but powerful reasons to forgive will persuade you into making the effort and deliberate decision to forgive. So for the remaining time we have together this morning, I'd like to look with you at some, some very simple Fundamental but very important reasons to forgive others. When you consider having an attitude of forgiveness or reasons to forgive, what is our responsibility to to forgive and how do we have that attitude of forgiveness? We're going to look at three separate things here. Uh, The first one, Christ commands us to forgive. Christ has already forgiven us, those that of us that are Christians this morning, and it helps us to conform to be more Christ-like. And thirdly, freedom we experience when we forgive others. The first one we're going to look at this morning is Christ commands us to forgive. 
As followers of Christ, we have an obligation, we have a responsibility, and and are commanded by our Savior to forgive. We see that Jesus, from time to time, uh, from the very time he began giving the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew, uh, in the early chapters of Matthew, he began teaching about this concept of forgiveness. We see in the latter part of Matthew chapter 5, there is an assumption that we're going to experience evil in this life. That we will be wronged, that we will be treated unkindly, and that when these offenses occur, we are not to render evil for evil, but to extend forgiveness. And so you may be saying to to yourself, you might be saying, okay, Shane, we know this, right? We know this. Uh, I'll forgive my neighbor. I can extend forgiveness to my family and to my friends and my loved ones. They forgive me. I can forgive them. We're done, right? But Jesus didn't stop with the people that we uh, feel love towards or that we decide to forgive. Our Lord didn't say, forgive those that you choose and be done there. But what does he say in verse 44 of chapter 5? He says, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you and do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. We are to choose to even forgive and love our enemies. And then we get into chapter 6 where Jesus teaches us about prayer. And we see as a part of the example prayer he gives in verse 12, Jesus teaches us to pray for forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12, he says, And forget our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And then if you skip down to verse 14 and 15, Jesus continues that thought, and he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. I like, um, I had heard not long ago, a little girl's interpretation um, was a little bit off from that verse. And her mom actually overheard her praying in her bedroom one night. And the little girl says, And God, forgive us of the trash in our baskets as we forgive others who put trash in our baskets. And if you think about that, isn't that true? When we offend others or we hurt others, it's like putting trash in people's lives. Forgiveness. If you'll turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 18, I want to read a short uh, couple of scriptures here. Matthew, chapter 18, Jesus teaches us how to be reconciled to our brother who sins against us. He tells us to go and to tell him the fault between you and him, and if he hears you, you've gained a brother, and then proceeds with the steps we should take if he's unwilling to reconcile. And then Peter boldly asks Christ uh, what so many of us need to hear and understand. So we'll pick up in Matthew chapter 18, picking up in verse 21 here. We'll read through the end of the chapter. The Bible says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say 
not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which ought him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay his Lord, commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But then the the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which ought him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after, after that, he had called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all the debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou... Also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee. And the Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that he was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Forgiveness is not limited by the extent of the sin or the frequency of the offenses. Uh... There in verse 21, you know, Peter was trying to be generous by offering to forgive someone seven times, but Jesus never intended to limit the forgiving of others. And so Jesus answers with a very large number, and he says, I say unto thee until uh, uh, seven times, but unto seventy times seven. Our Savior uses this big, large number, such as 490, to get the point across that our forgiving should have no limits. And with the limitless amount of forgiving, we are to extend our fellow man, our fellow brother, and we shouldn't keep record or count of the number of times we show that mercy and forgiveness. There shouldn't be any scorekeeping. Christ goes back to the heart, doesn't he? Jesus wants our hearts to be changed. He wants our hearts to be fully devoted in every aspect of him. Just as he says in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Christ wants our hearts, he wants our minds, he wants our character, our will, and our intentions to be after him. And so we see in verse 35 of Matthew chapter 18, he talks about forgiving from the heart. When we forgive, we need to release the offender of the debt. It is not something we say with words only. We forgive completely to never bring it up again. And to not discuss it anymore. So quickly, let's look at the parable of the unforgiving debtor. Got ahead of myself there. We see a parable that Jesus speaks about here, about a man who who owed a huge, unpayable amount of debt. The Bible says 10,000 talents. So how much is 10,000 talents? Well, depending on your source, one talent is equal to about 6,000 denarii. It's about 20 years of daily wages on a six-day work week. 
In today's money, one talent would be about $348,000. One talent. In today's money, $348,000. And so you multiply that by 10,000 talents, it would be worth, if I did my math, math correctly, I'm sure Brad will correct me if I'm wrong, $3.48 trillion in today's money. Do you know anyone worth a trillion dollars today? Much less $3.48 trillion? I certainly don't. You can get on your uh, search engine of choice and type in the richest person in the world. And I believe on any given day over the next week or two, the richest person in the world is only worth $233 billion approximately, and that's total assets. The point that Jesus made that we just read is this man owed a lot of money, and he owed so much money that he would never be able to repay the king. And I think we all understand the correlation that Jesus is trying to get across here. We have sin in our lives. We have sinfulness throughout our lives that we can never repay. And thank God for Jesus. We have forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. Verse 26 and verse 27 says, The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, He's talking to the king now. He's talking about the debt that he cannot pay. And he said, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him of the debt. This is how God treats us as sinners. But then what does that very servant do? He went out to one of his fellow servants who owed him some money. And the Bible says in the latter part of verse 28 that he laid hands on him. And he took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. Now this man owed a hundred pence, the Bible says. The English Standard Version reads, The fellow servant owed him a hundred denarii. This amount of money is equivalent to about four months worth of wages. In today's money, it would be approximately $6,000, give or take. And so we found out that the king had overheard what had happened. He called the man who was initially forgiven with this massive amount of debt, and the king said, and I'm paraphrasing here, O thou wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt, but you didn't have compassion on your fellow servant as I have had on you. And the Bible says in verse 34 of this chapter, And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. Jesus then tells Peter and the disciples, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also to you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Let us realize that we not only have the responsibility to forgive others, but we are commanded by the Lord to forgive. Second point we'd like to make this morning is Christ has forgiven us, 
And so when we forgive, it helps us conform more to our Savior's example. God has always uh, ties the model of forgiveness in our lives to the forgiveness He has performed. God has set the standard to us regarding forgiveness. He is the most holy, the most gracious, and the most merciful. Our Father stands eager and ready to forgive us of our sins. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here we have a benevolent Father who has forgiven us of all of our sins, who has sent His only Son to the cross, the perfect Lamb of God, and shed His blood to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Sean used this last week. Psalm 103 and verse 2, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. We should have the same eagerness and willingness to forgive. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 10, says, He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walks in darkness, and knows not whether he goeth, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I had a dear brother point this out to me uh, here recently, and I'll tell you, it, it has hit me like a ton of bricks. When you consider the forgiveness we have from our Heavenly Father... Who am I to refuse forgiveness of my fellow man? Who am I to refuse forgiveness of my brother or my sister? Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 says, He hath delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In, in, uh, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul continues on and says, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Let us be encouraged to be like our Savior who has forgiven us of that unpayable, mountainous debt that we owe and strive to be like Him by forgiving one another. Lastly, our third point this morning is that forgiveness produces the freedom to experience the peace and the joy that our Savior gives. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31 The Apostle Paul writes here, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I'd like to dissect for just a minute these actions that Paul starts with here in verses 31. What is bitterness? Bitterness refers to bitter hatred. 
animosity or holding a grudge. Wrath. Wrath is a passionate anger that results in verbal abuse or violence. Anger, in this passage, it means violent passion. Clamor. It refers to loud arguments or quarreling. Evil speaking is slander. It's defamation or an abusive type speech. And then he mentions malice. Malice is an evil disposition of mind or the desire to hurt someone. These attitudes and these actions are not favorable for someone who is of a forgiving heart. We must acknowledge these things are sinful. And we must address each one of these in our walk with Jesus if if we have one or multiple. And I would say I'm guilty of several of these in my past. We must address each one of these and find if we're engaging in these actions, Paul is telling us to put these things away, put them out of our lives, to discard them from your lives and seek what is best for the other person. As Christians, if we choose to not forgive others, at that point we're not only being sinful, we are also allowing and creating large amounts of grief and anguish in our lives to follow all produced by ongoing hatred and bitterness and anger and vindictiveness and others alike. The choice of unforgiveness doesn't just destroy the particular relationship, it destroys the person willing or unwilling, sorry, to forgive. This is one of the very reasons I think Paul mentions these six evil and destructive actions. Where there is unforgiveness, it will develop bitterness and hatred and anger and then the pursuit of vengeance. And when these things don't satisfy, these negative attributes just worsen and gets worse, and the end result is nothing but negative. That's why in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the compassionate, for they shall obtain mercy, for they shall obtain and receive and experience compassion. And I don't know about you here this morning But I definitely need mercy. I definitely need compassion. And so who am I not to give that same mercy to others? I told you we'd come back to her. Uh, A lady by the name of Corey Ten Boom. Her real name is Cornelia Johanna Ten Boom. Those of, of who were closest to her knew her as Corey... C-O-R-R-I-E. She was a Dutch watchmaker who later became a Christian writer and public speaker. She and her family were responsible for helping many Jewish people hide and escape the Nazis during the Holocaust. Her and her family would hide these Jewish people in their home. They gave them shelter. They gave them food. They took care of them. And eventually, Corey and her family were caught and thrown into a German concentration camp. Years later, she wrote a famous book, and it's a bestseller now, The Hiding Place. It's a biography where she recounts her story of how she found and shared hope in God during the time in that concentration camp. You think she has something to say about forgiveness? You bet she does. She has a quote in saying, and I think it's very fitting to the subject of this morning. 
She writes this about forgiveness. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. As we consider Paul's letter to Philemon, he had very kind comments about Philemon. But we understand Philemon was not perfect. He had flaws just like you and I. It's important to understand that we are all sinners pursuing a closer walk with Jesus. The action of forgiveness is not a suggestion, but it's a commandment. And it's essential to our walk with Christ. I'd like to leave you uh, two verses before we come to a close. The book of Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11 writes, Good sense makes a man restrain his anger and it is his glory to overlook a transgression or an offense. And also in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. I said earlier, for those of you that have not obeyed the gospel of our Lord Jesus, and you have been properly taught, ready to obey and submit your life, with Christ this morning, being buried with Him in baptism and rising a new person, washing away your sins, the invitation awaits you this morning. And we would encourage you not to wait. The water is always ready. We read in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but His long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The invitation awaits you this morning for those of you that would like to obey the gospel of Jesus. If you find yourself here this morning, maybe you have been hindered or maybe you're, you're struggling with forgiving someone. This congregation is here to help you and assist you. We have so many wonderful leaders at this congregation who are ready and willing to help and study with you and give you direction and encouragement. Take it from me, don't hesitate to reach out for help. Don't let your pride get in the way. If you are needing assistance of any kind as you navigate your walk with Jesus, we all need help along life's way. And we are here together as God's family to encourage one another in their Christian journey. If you find yourself in need of prayers, need of strength and encouragement, or you're struggling in your Christian walk, if we can do anything for you, we ask that you come and have a seat on the front pew while we stand and while we sing. Just as I am.